So one of my favorite portions of scripture is the Sermon on the Mount, this epic sermon by Jesus preaching to his followers his kingdom manifesto. It's this long, epic, knowledge-packed sermon where basically Jesus is declaring to the listeners, hey, this is how subjects of my kingdom ought to live. And in Matthew chapter 6, he speaks about giving, he speaks about prayer, he speaks about fasting, and then we get to verse 19, and he says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So good, so deep. And yet it's so easy to treat the scriptures where Jesus speaks like Jesus's personal Twitter account and just go, hey, cool philosophical saying, Jesus. Rad. Thanks, man. Or, you know, put it in one of those frame, tacky, hobby lobby wall art thingies that literally just hurt your soul to even look at. But as Christ followers, we have to constantly be asking ourselves, okay, I know what Jesus says, but what does Jesus actually mean? So the first thing I want to do is define heavenly treasures. What are heavenly treasures? Can we admit that sometimes the Bible can be hard to understand? There are many concepts we grew up hearing, but when we are asked to define those things, it gets a little tricky. I feel this way about heavenly treasures. When I think of treasure, I think of Muppet Treasure Island, <laughs> uh, one of my favorite movies uh, growing up as a kid. There's this epic scene where Kermit and Piggy are singing this romantic love song uh, entitled Love Let Us Hear while they are hanging upside down about to fall to their deaths. And there's this hilarious juxtaposition where during the song, uh, while Kermit and Piggy are hanging, it then cuts to this scene with Long John Silver and his crew of pirates, and they are following the treasure map, and the treasure map leads them to their long-lost treasure. And so they come in, and there's this wide shot, and they come through the door, and the light shines down on this giant pile of treasure. Gold, jewels, diamonds, crowns. And while you're still hearing this romantic love song in the background of Kermit and Piggy singing, the pirates start like frolicking in the gold, dancing and leaping and twirling and even hugging one another and just joyously laughing and throwing their gold into the air. That's, that's what I think of when I think of treasure. And so is this what Jesus is getting at here? Is he getting at materialism? Does he want us to somehow figure out a way how to invest the right stocks so that when we get to heaven, we have tons of cash in our heavenly bank account so that when we get to the next life, we can buy bigger houses and fill them with more possessions, more stuff? No, clearly not. Jesus is actually, apparently, <laughs> anti-materialist. Uh, he's constantly telling his followers to actually sell their possessions, give to the poor, and follow him. And so I think in order to get to the bottom of what heavenly treasure is, we have to start with what it is not. We have to look at the seduction and the letdown of earthly treasures. 
And to illustrate this, I, I want to talk briefly about a date that I went on with my wife uh, just the other day. It was our 13-year wedding anniversary, and in the past, we would have <laughs> done something crazy. But now, we are parents of a toddler, which means that our idea of fun is a little bit more uh, realistic and scaled down. And so, uh, part of our date was we went to a flea market and it was in this crazy big warehouse and if you don't know what a flea market is it is uh, not a place where fleas are sold but it is a place where I get nervous about whether or not the items being sold have fleas on them it's essentially uh, this massive garage sale where people dig out a bunch of things that at one time were treasures to them but now because of economic pressure or because they're trying to clear out junk from their home they are now trying to sell their possessions and so we were wandering around and looking at all of these items just tons and tons of things uh, you know we we did find some interesting things that we were able to purchase like a stuffed big bird doll for our son jack but man we saw a lot of weird stuff there was some creepy old baby dolls with missing eyes and eerie expressions uh, things like you know <laughs> half working waffle irons mountains of old clothes and there was even a point where I saw this sign for specialty cheese but for some reason uh, it was pointing around this mysterious corner and as I traveled behind these lines and lines of old clothes buried within the closet racks there was this old woman sitting there with a cooler full of cheese and I did not buy any because I was slightly creeped out the thing that really struck me about all of this really hit me at the point where I got to a guy trying to sell his massive, massive comic book collection. And so many people, including me, were coming up to these comics and looking at them and going, hmm, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. Wow, Spider-Man number 15, so cool. But most people did not buy from the collection they just looked and moved on and it it really struck me thinking about how many things in this flea market at one point were considered absolute treasures to the people who owned them they were willing to spend top dollar for these things when they first came out but eventually they end up at the flea market and from there a lot of it doesn't get sold and from there if it doesn't get sold, it either goes to an old storage locker or to a trash dump. And isn't that just the reality of earthly treasures? No matter how much we love our treasures, no matter how much we spend on our treasures, no matter how much of our life we give away in order to own our treasures, one day we die and we can't take our earthly treasures with us. And quite often, even before we die, we realize that those earthly treasures that we valued so much weren't all they were cracked up to be and didn't hold the meaning that we thought they did. You can spend your entire life trying to fill your bank account, but at the end of the day, no matter how much money you have in there, you can't take it with you into the next life. And you know what else you can't take with you into the next life? your follower count. 
your social influence. You see, for many of us, in the age where most of our stuff is digitized, material possessions aren't always our issue. Instead of collecting old VHS tapes, we've got Netflix and YouTube. Instead of having to hoard our collection of video game cartridges, we've got digital downloads on our Nintendo Switch. Instead of filling our bookshelves with physical books, we've got ebooks and audiobooks on our iPad. So it's not always the physical things, but social capital, popularity, influence, attention. Very often that is our treasure. A study by the American Psychology Association found that younger generations, that's my generation of millennials and downward, tend to prioritize fame, image, and money more than previous generations, which many believe may be influenced by the constant exposure to social media and celebrity culture. And to that I say yes and amen. This is the air we breathe. I echo the words of the great Jim Carrey, a man who reached incredible heights of fame as a movie star. He was a household name when I was growing up. And yet Jim says this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. You know, when I was a kid growing up, I was an insecure, a very unpopular kid, and I wanted to be loved. And I learned very quickly that even though I wasn't confident in my looks or my athletic ability, I could make people laugh. And that gave me attention, and that made me feel valued. And in high school, I was really good friends with my English and drama teacher, which shows you how popular I was with the rest of the school. <laughs> One of my best friends was my teacher, and him and I were huge Muppet and puppetry nerds. We loved the work of Jim Henson, Sesame Street, Muppets, Fraggle Rock, all of that stuff. And we were doing a puppet show for our church, and then suddenly this new thing called YouTube arrived and hit the scene. And we said, hey, let's film some stupid puppet videos and put them on the internet. The next thing we knew, our videos were blowing up. We were featured on the front page of YouTube. We started to get thousands of followers and suddenly we had a fan base. In the early age of YouTube, we were basically what I would say it would be D-list internet celebrities. Maybe E-list, maybe F. But <laughs> I was 18 years old and before I knew it, my partner and I had formed a puppetry comedy video production company. We had investors, we were building a small film studio in California with lights, cameras, green screens, we were hiring people, we were shooting the pilot episode of a TV show, we had people in Hollywood asking us if we wanted to make a movie, it was all so great. And yet, I saw what it was doing to my heart. This insecure young guy who found his identity and how funny he could be suddenly had an entire job and life centered around that. And I became obsessed with likes, comments, and subscriber numbers. I defined my worth by those treasures. And what happened was the pressure to constantly impress people with bigger and better videos and content brought me so much anxiety and fear. And, and I constantly felt God pulling at my heart saying, hey, it's not that this path is wrong or sinful, but it's not what I have for you. And eventually our company fell apart when we ran out of money. And while I'm proud of the work that we did, the reality is no one really watches our videos anymore. 
besides me, because I'm nostalgic. But the thing is, my treasure did not last. You know, John Calvin famously said that our hearts are idol factories, constantly churning out false gods to worship instead of the one true God. Our goals can become our gods. Treasures can become our master. And idolatry could be defined as really anything more important to us than God, anything that absorbs our heart and imagination more than God, and anything we seek to give us what only God can give. The reality is we love to worship creations rather than the creator. It's like we're constantly positioning our lives in such a way where we're constantly taking selfies, but we're trying to make sure that Jesus makes it into the background frame. We're trying to position the camera of our lives so that it's very focused on ourselves, but Jesus is still there so we can hold on to our Christian identity while still focusing on self. And Jesus becomes just the celebrity who's photobombing our photo and accentuating our aesthetic. But that is so wrong. Instead, we are called to point the camera of our lives away from self and fully turn it around so that the camera is pointed at Christ to capture who he is and what he's about so then that we can reflect him back to the world. Jesus wants us to redirect our desires towards something that is life-giving and freeing. And our deep, idle desires, our success and wealth and fame and security and popularity and pleasure, he wants to get at these deep idols because those are the things that define our allegiance and he knows that we won't truly thrive until we declare him king of our heart. So now we know what heavenly treasures are not. So that begs the question, what are heavenly treasures? I would define heavenly treasures as eternal treasures. Heavenly treasures refer to what is eternal rather than what is temporary and fleeting, such as material possessions, social capital, or earthly riches. I remember when I first experienced this concentrated realization of what heavenly treasures were like, because at around the same time I was pursuing my Hollywood treasure, I started volunteering in the youth group at my church. And I was this lonely, struggling, self-absorbed teenage guy. And here were a bunch of middle school guys going through the exact same stuff as me. And I had this opportunity to be a big brother. And I started trying to love them and point them to Jesus. And when I did that, I experienced this joy that lasted. And I believe that's because the work that I was doing was eternal. It wasn't building my YouTube subscriber list. It was building the kingdom of God. Pursuing heavenly treasures means seeking after things that matter most to God. These treasures are not like things that we can buy or touch, but rather they are found in ways that we love and serve others the ways that we obey God's commands, and the way that we share the good news of Jesus with those around us. And it may seem strange to pursue treasure that we can't see or touch. I mean, we can't even see the balance or number that we have, but it's not about that. 
As we follow Jesus and serve him, we are actually affecting eternity. Every act of kindness, every moment of obedience, and every time we share the love of Jesus with someone, we are storing up treasures in heaven that'll last forever. But how does it work? Like, how do we actually store up heavenly treasures? Is this just a metaphor or is this literal? What does this actually look like? Well, here's some simple examples that I recently gave to a youth group when we were talking about this. Storing up heavenly treasures, what does it look like? It looks like time spent with Jesus in prayer and in studying of scripture. It looks like helping your mom with the dishes. It looks like spending some time encouraging and praying for your younger siblings. It looks like volunteering at your church, actually going up to your pastor and saying, hey, what are the needs? How can I help? It's telling people at work and school and in your friend group about Jesus. Now he might ask, how is this storing up treasure? Isn't this just moralism? Is this doing good deeds so we can get brownie points? No, listen, here is what I'm talking about. When you are storing up treasures in heaven, you are doing something that is beyond what you can see with your eyes. There are things happening in the spiritual realm. Simple acts of obedience are the building bricks of the kingdom of God. For instance, time spent with Jesus. What's actually happening? How are you storing up treasures? When you spend time with Christ, it is building within you a deep life of love and character and wisdom and purpose. It fills you with internal riches that you will use throughout your entire life. That is eternal. When you help your mom with the dishes, what is it doing? It's comforting her in the midst of all her hard work. It's showing her love and appreciation. It's filling her with joy and relief. By serving her, you are following in the way of Jesus who washed the feet of others. And it helps her see God working in you. It is eternal. When you spend time encouraging your siblings, as an older sibling, you are inviting them to follow you on the path of discipleship. You are showing them that you care for them in deep, deep ways, and you're supporting them in their struggles by praying for them. That is eternal. By volunteering, by going to your pastor and saying, how can I help? You have this opportunity to support your spiritual family as they follow Jesus and push back darkness. You're helping them build the kingdom of God in your city. That is eternal. And through evangelism, you're helping people literally change their eternal destinies. You're helping them find meaning and purpose and forgiveness and fulfillment in this life and in the next by showing them the reason for the hope you have within you. You are helping Jesus build eternity. You know, one of the most beautiful things about storing up treasures in heaven is this. Well, normally, storing up earthly treasures is about hoarding wealth, stuffing as much cash into banks and investment profiles so it gains interest and not touching it until some far off distant future. Heavenly treasures are actually treasures that you can access right now. It's one of my favorite theological concepts, inaugurated eschatology, this idea of the already, but not yet. In simple terms, what it means is heaven is our future home, but because of Jesus, we get to experience a taste of heaven right now. And not just a little nibble, but a generous, hearty taste. 
while we wait for Jesus to unify heaven and earth and end all evil and suffering and sadness, right now, if we abide in Christ through his spirit, we can experience the eternal riches of heaven right here, right now. You know, I think about what are my eternal treasures? What are, what are things that I can access right now? What does that look like? Well, one is friendship with my wife. The Lord has led me over many years now to invest in that friendship. And I'm so thankful that I can tap into that heavenly reality right now of this beautiful Jesus-centered friendship. I think of my youth ministry kids, the kids that used to be in my youth group that I pastored for nearly a decade. I've still got a framed group photo of my students hanging on the wall in my office. And I love to look at it and just think about the eternal treasures that come from serving others. And, and, and these kids who are now adults, but my friendship with them that remains to this day is one of my greatest treasures on earth, knowing that God used me to invest in their lives and also knowing that God used them to invest in my life is a beautiful treasure. I think of phone calls with my grandma, Grammy Sandy, especially now after the loss of my grandfather, just the, the treasured eternal conversations of speaking to my grandma who I love so much and hearing her wisdom and hearing her heart and seeing her generosity. I, I think of my son laying on my chest. I think of this reality that I have this beautiful, small, tiny human that God has gifted me. He's granted me this relationship with this, this boy, this beautiful, sweet, blessed boy. And that by just loving him and serving him in the name of Jesus, I am building towards his eternal future and his eternal life in the kingdom of God. I, I think of the reality of knowing that a sinner like me has been able to help people find Jesus. That blows me away. I know I don't deserve to be used by God. I know my sin, I know my struggles, I know who I am, I know my flaws, but I've been given this precious gift of forgiveness and redemption, and not only that, but an invitation by Jesus to be involved in what he's doing in his plan to rescue and redeem the world. These are some of my most precious treasures because I know that they will last until the next life. And so just to conclude this message, let's look one more time at the passage. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy it, where thieves can steal it, but lay up treasures in heaven because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Look at that last line. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Guys, I think the most important part of this passage isn't even about the treasures themselves. It's about Jesus's statement of what the treasure leads to. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It's a treasure map that leads somewhere. I think that what Jesus cares about most is the location of your heart. Stop, pause, take a moment to think about this. What Jesus cares about most is the location of your heart. 
If your treasure is power, success, wealth, popularity, fame, sex, then you will find that the location of your heart is located in a state of anxiety, worry, fear, envy, greed, and bitterness, a constant state of thinking, I don't have enough and I will never be enough. But if your treasure is Jesus and if your treasure is the kingdom of God, then you will find that the location of your heart is within a state of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I'd add purpose, fulfillment, contentment, forgiveness, and redemption. Where even in moments of struggle, you can say, I have enough because I have the love of my Father in heaven. I have enough because I am loved. And it's still hard. I know it's still hard. It's so hard to let go of our earthly treasures and the security that we think that they bring. I know that for me as a new dad, the thing that stresses me out the most in life is probably my bank account. But I love what Jesus says in verse 24 of this same chapter, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and your earthly treasures. I'll close with this epic quote from A.W. Tozer. Father, I want to know you, but my coward heart fears to give up its toys. I cannot part with them without inward bleeding and I do not try to hide from you the terror of the parting. I come trembling, but I do come. Please root from my heart all those things which I have cherished so long and which have become a very part of my living self so that you may enter and dwell there without a rival. Then shall you make the place of your feet glorious. Then shall my heart have no need of the sun to shine in it, for yourself will be the light of it and there shall be no night there. In Jesus' name, amen.